We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello! Hello there. How are you? I am... well? Question mark? Yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting week. It has... For various reasons. Various reasons. But we're here, and we're ready to to get into a story and laugh and be creeped out. Mm-hmm. Also, full disclosure, Willie is very needy today, so if you hear a fart or licking of chops... Or a burp. I apologize in advance, but this boy did turn eight last week, so... He is still writing out his birthday privileges. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Happy belated birthday, Willie. Happy belated birthday, Willie. My little eight-year-old king. Quick corrections, Cubby. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so you know how I was like, oh, my friend Vuk uh, recommended the Baba Anoinka episode, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I fucking mispronounced his podcast. <gasps> no. God. Yeah. Even though I wrote it right in my notes, I read it wrong. It should be tracing owls, not twisted owls. And he also told me that the area in which she lived is, in fact, a large plain. Oh, okay. So even though there are mountains, there weren't any where she lived. Dang. So. Well, we tried. (laughs) A for effort. That's all we can do here. (laughs) We're trying to help her out and she just wouldn't let us help her. So you know what? Yep. It is what it is. Starting off the year, Lindsay Strong. <laughs> the, <laughs> the year of Lindsay! Keep that cubby open! <laughs> Alright, this week we are going to be discussing one of my favorite topics, the Ooh. Jersey Devil. <gasps> oh man, yeah, I guess you could before the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay, okay. Let's get into it. First cryptid of the year. And information was pulled from the following sources. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 All That's Interesting article by Leah Silverman. 2021 Navy History blog post by Tyler Robinson. 2021 Rutgers University Library article. 2016 Courier Post article by Phaedra Trethen. 2015 The Guardian article by Alan Ewis. 2015 Mysterious Universe article by Nick Redfern. 2015 Mysterious Universe article by Paul Seaburn. 2015 NJS, a disciplinary journal article by Brian Regal. Atlantic County, New Jersey website article. Official site of the state of New Jersey website. Pinelands Preservation Alliance article. And our good friends over at the Wikipedia. Nice. I love that it's a part of the new official New Jersey website. Yep. Perfect. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Got something you want to say? 
shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. So the Jersey Devil. Yeah. His origins supposedly date back to 1735. Whoa. In the heart of the Pine Barrens of New Jersey in the United States, for those that are unfamiliar with where New Jersey is. Yeah. The Pine Barrens consist of 2,000 square miles of primarily coniferous trees like white cedar, and it's very remote and mostly uninhabited. Okay. Interesting. And it's like a wetland, too. So it's... Yeah. But you would think there would be, like, something there. Yeah. So that that's the first kind of mysterious thing, that, mm-hmm. like, nothing wants to live there. Yeah. The woods stretch across seven counties in the southern half of New Jersey, and the land is actually a giant aquifer. Ooh, Okay. Given that it's mainly wetland, traveling through this area is difficult, and many roads are actually old First Nation trails. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) They did it, and then everybody else was like, you know what? They did such a great job. Let's not not mess with perfection, you know? They're like, you know, this is chef's kiss. We're going to leave it alone. Yeah. There are other areas that used to be stagecoach routes. Many are sandy. And there are only a few roads that are actually paved. So it's like very rare to find a paved road going through the Pine Barrens. I mean, that makes sense if it's essentially swampland. I mean, Mm -hmm. it'd be really hard to maintain it. And then at that point, do you even want or need to? Yeah. Like, how, how desperate are you to get through this area? Yeah. So desperate. So desperate. (laughs) I needs it. The story starts with a Quaker woman named Mother Jane Leeds. She's portrayed as a sinister woman who lives in the Pine Barrens in Estelleville near Leeds Point. And in 1735, she's pregnant with her 13th child. Ooh, lucky. It's said that she's so done with being pregnant that she placed a curse upon her own unborn child, hexing it by saying, quote, let this one be the devil, end quote. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So she's just a lovely woman all around. Yep. Cool. Way to hate your kid before you even have it. <laughs> Dang. You're the devil. <laughs> it's like, there you are, mom. The night of the child's birth, a huge storm blew through the area, lighting up the pine barrens with huge bolts of lightning and booming bursts of thunder. The trees shook in the wind, and the storm seemed to continue to crescendo as the baby was finally born. Sounds like a movie. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a tweester. (laughs) He's actually the Wicked Witch of the West. Yep. (laughs) It's said that when the child was born, he at first appeared perfectly normal and healthy. But within a matter of minutes, his appearance began to change. That's not terrifying. He developed a horse-like head, leathery wings, talons, 
and hooves instead of feet. Wait, so his talons were his arms? Mm -hmm. Like his hands? Yeah, his hands. Wicked shop talons. Wow, talons and then hooves. Yep. That just doesn't... So he has no thumbs. Nope. No opposable thumbs. Nope. Just talons. Dang. Following its transformation, it brutally attacked the Leeds family members and midwives who were attending to Mother Leeds before quickly making its escape when it opened its wings and shot up out of the chimney into the dense, dark woods. Wow. Baby animals eat your heart out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You guys can stand after you're born? Well, this one can murder and fly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Up your evolution game. Yeah. Actually, sorry, transform. (laughs) (laughs) Maul and fly. Yep. In another version of this tale, the child didn't transform into the Leeds devil, but was born disfigured after she'd fathered it with the devil itself. In this telling, the child was confined until it was able to make its escape through either the cellar door or up the chimney, depending on the telling. No. Mm -hmm. Really don't want to imagine a baby just (laughs) like scurrying up a chimney. Skittering its way up a chimney oh, like God. a freaking exorcist movie. Oh god. Like the fucking ring. You can make that you can make the scuttle noise, can't you? You should do it for him. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like the ba- where'd the baby go? <laughs> you just hear that noise. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's like a squirrel in the walls. <laughs> Coming to a swamp near you. Now, this is just one origin story, and this is the most popular. Okay. Another version states that the townspeople of Leeds Point placed a curse on a young girl who fell in love with a British soldier during the Revolutionary War. The British had infiltrated the area due to the fact that the people of Bastow were supplying the privateers with supplies from their iron forges. And they were like, nuh-uh-uh, we want that. And in 1778, the British and Americans fought in the Battle of Chestnut Neck, which is a legit battle. And following this, the townspeople were so against the match between the girl and the British soldier that they called their union an act of treason and cursed her. That's aggressive. Yeah, right? Dang. Like, the country's new. Why you gotta be a hater? (laughs) You are cursed. (laughs) <laughs> so when she later went on to have a child with the man, it became known as the Leeds Devil. Oh, man. Were these people Quakers, too? Like, Quakers were mean. Yeah, they were Quakers. Oh, gosh, they're so mean. Another tale, which is racist, not surprisingly. Awesome. Great. Is Part that the course. a gypsy, or more commonly known as a Roma, Mm-hmm. who was passing through the area, cursed a girl because she refused to give them food. I mean, I'd curse somebody out if I asked for food and they were mean about it, which they probably were, because you know those guys had oatmeal, at the very <laughs> least. Oh, you mean this? And they, like, shake a canister of oatmeal at her? <laughs> nope, <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> no quick oats for you, ma'am. And she's like, those were the dinosaur egg ones. I curse you. <laughs> She doesn't, she doesn't get the dinosaur eggs. No. 
Years later in 1850, the girl, who had completely forgotten about the curse, gave birth to a son who became a devil and fled into the Pine Barrens. Dang. That'd be traumatic. Yeah. Nine months and you're like, wow, I can't wait to meet him. And then it's just like... And then it goes... <laughs> like... And it just scurries out of the house into the woods. <laughs> just scuttles into the swamp. And she's like, wait, I'm going to name you Shrek. Back. <laughs> come back, Shrek. It's like a fucking crab. Just scuttling away. <laughs> <laughs> With his talons as like the click, click, yeah, click, 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 click. <laughs> Clicking his talons. And it's little coconut hooves. Oh my gosh. Oh God. Galloping outside. Oh man. Okay. Although many of us would view this tale as nothing more than fanciful fiction, many of the people in the area who refer to it as the Leeds Devil, or the Devil of Leeds, believe in the creature and report sightings of it. No. Some have described it as having the face of a horse, others the head of a dog with deer antlers, the body of a kangaroo with two short front legs, large leathery wings, a forked tail razor-sharp talons, and that it stands between three to six feet tall. Dang, so he's got like a really rubbery back or just like really bad osteoporosis? I don't understand. <laughs> really bad back knee. Bad bones. It is also said to have glowing red eyes and emit bone-chilling screams. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. It's just like, as if... As if people weren't freaked out enough. It's just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like, like, do you guys have oats? He's just like screaming. <laughs> I just picture it sounding like those screaming goats. Yeah. It's just like, real it quiet in, in the woods and all of a sudden you hear, ah! <laughs> You're like the yeah. screaming goats. <laughs> right? Like, damn it, Kevin, go back to the woods. You can't have our oats. These are, God- These are the Lord's oats. And then you just hear it slowly, like, screaming away into the distance. Right. So it, like, fades away. It would away. make sense. It would make sense that it would love oats if it has the face of a horse. Mm-hmm. Horses yeah. love oats. They love oats. Quakers were asking for it. Yeah. The Jersey Devil is reportedly nocturnal, which isn't surprising. And during right. the day, it sleeps in the wetlands of the Pine Barrens. Nice. There have been reports of raided chicken coops, farm animals that were found murdered and mutilated, and odd-looking tracks that have been found in the area. Oh, and it, uh, it apparently eats children, too. Oh, yeah. I mean... Who doesn't? Maybe, Right? <laughs> he's, he's like a French pig. It's fine. <laughs> Merci de plus. <laughs> I hunt truffles and children. <laughs> Like, that's funny i hunt chicken and children ain't i a scamp wow. <laughs> the jersey devil has been held responsible for a number of calamities that have fallen over the area not calamities oh, right including the failure of crops droughts and for causing cows to stop producing milk well i think that's just them being lazy yeah and or bad oats <laughs> They're wanting them to start using water like everybody else. Spoil water. Stop wasting our milk on your oats. Some stated that he was able to blow the tops off trees and cause the streams to boil. Dang. See, he, w- he was trying to help him out. He was trying to help him make a, just a 
bunch of oats and they were mm-hmm. so ungrateful. Yep. He's like, look at this swamp bowl. <laughs> You're welcome. And they're like, ew, gross. Is that a baby in there? So <laughs> dinosaur eggs, it's just a bunch of babies and chickens. And he's like, what? You just need to put your oats in there and then you got a meal. So then he just like awkwardly scuttles away. <laughs> Fine. Baby oats. <laughs> Some believe that he only appears every seven years. And much like the Mothman, that his appearance is said to foreshadow disaster or foretell war. Oh, that's pretty unlucky. I feel bad for him. I know. He's just like, hey, guys, do you want to hang out? Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm going to go back for another seven years. We're going to try this again. (laughs) Like World War II. Sorry, guys. Were those dinosaur eggs? Cool. Can I have some of those? Seven more years. Now, I don't want you to think that it was just like farmers who reported encountering the Leeds Devil. Many prominent people of the day also reported seeing it, including government officials, policemen, businessmen, and postal officials, which are really important at this point in history. Yeah, that's true. It kind of makes you wonder, like, so these, like, hot swamps, did any of them have hallucinogens in them? I don't know. Got any mysterious mushrooms? <laughs> I mean, it is very wet here, so... I mean, fungus does tend to grow on oats, so... This is true. <laughs> you raw dog some uncooked oats and you might be gambling. <laughs> gambling with some blue oats over there, I don't know. Some famous sightings might surprise you. Okay. Commodore Stephen Decatur Jr., for example, was an American naval officer and Commodore born on the eastern shore of Maryland in 1779. During a visit to the Hanover Millworks to inspect the cannonballs that were being forged there, it's said that he encountered the Jersey Devil. I was also curious to see how the cannonballs were doing. <laughs> He's like, what's going on over here, you guys? No. I, I, I just I really appreciate a good cannonball. I just wanted to see for myself. It's just very hot over here. I like fire. I love hot springs. I love round things like children and chickens. I I'm just this is perfect. Just passing on through. <laughs> you know, you might need it in seven years. I'm just checking the quality before I go back to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> Commodore Stephen visited a firing range and spotted a flying creature in the area. Choosing to test the cannonballs out on the unknown creature, he fired directly on it, and although it made a direct hit, it didn't seem to phase the creature at all, and it continued to fly away. <laughs> it's because of all those babies he ate. He's, impenet- <laughs> he's, got, he's got the power of infants. <laughs> <laughs> the power of babies repels you. <laughs> I've got so much protein. I didn't feel it. Maybe, maybe the reason why he was visiting those cannonballs is he was trained to become like that guy that would always shoot a cannonball into his stomach. Oh, God. Until, until he died of like ruptured organs <laughs> and internal <laughs> bleeding. From being hit with a fucking cannonball repeatedly throughout his life. And, like, drinking heavily. (laughs) And dull the pain of being hit by cannonballs. (laughs) 
to dull the pain of the internal bleeding. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> History's weird. God, oh, history. hi. Wow, hi, Willie. History's so weird. History's so weird. In 1820, former King of Spain, Joseph Bonaparte, brother of Napoleon Bonaparte, <laughs> ran into the Jersey Devil in Bordertown, New Jersey, while he was hunting game in the nearby woods. Sounds like somebody needs some attention. My brother's a dictator, but I saw a creature when I was hunting. Remember when Overseas. I was the king of Spain? Remember that? I matter too. I saw a weird kangaroo that offered me oats that were blue. And I said, no, I got my shoot, shoot, gun, gun. Get out of here. Heating them in a swamp with a bunch of cannonballs. There was an odd number of cannonballs in this clearing, now that I look back on it. One for every year he was asleep. In 1840, several livestock were killed that year, and their slaughter was attributed to the Jersey Devil. I mean, everybody needs sacrifice, you know? This one's my favorite. And you just missed the whole, like, little, like, hmm, little hand gesture that I did. (laughs) Even pirates ran into the Jersey Devil. Oh, as you do. I mean... He did like cannonballs, and they also like cannonballs. This is true. This is true. Captain Kidd is rumored to have buried treasure in Barnegat Bay. And according to legend, he beheaded one of his men so that he could guard that treasure forever. Oh, it's like a human sacrifice kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Like a weird magic ritual? Yeah. It's said that the headless pirate... And the Jersey Devil, like some weird Tinder thing, found one another and became friends. Oh my god. Because apparently they can be seen in the evenings walking near the Atlantic and in the marshlands nearby. That's amazing. I hope they hold claws and (laughs) hands. And he just like pours oats down his neck or something. His neck hole. Chews it up for him because he's got a horse face. <laughs> like a little bird. It feeds him like a bird. Oh, God. <laughs> Let me tell you about my best friend. It just makes me think of that mad TV skit. Lowered expectations. <laughs> Perfect. <sighs> a posse of men in Clayton, New Jersey, reportedly chased down the Jersey Devil to the edge of a wooded area. After it fled into the trees, the group of men refused to follow, too terrified to enter, and merely yelled at it, quote, if you're the devil, rattle your chains, end quote. <laughs> what? And he's like, guys, I don't wear chains. I'm a flying devil. Right. I do what I want. The Jersey Devil is also well-traveled. Over the course of its long life, he flew from Bridgeton to Haddonfield in 1856, visited the border of New York in 1899, and traveled from Gloucester City to Trenton in 1909. The October 15, 1887 edition of the Elkhart Sentinel included an article that described sightings of, quote, the Devil of Leeds, end quote, allegedly spotted near the Pine Barrens. Quote, Whenever he went near it, it would give a most unearthly yell that frightened the dogs. 
It whipped at every dog on the place. That thing, said the colonel, is not a bird nor an animal, but it is the Leeds devil, according to the description, and it was born over in Evesham, Burlington County, a hundred years ago. There is no mistake about it. I never saw the horrible critter myself, but I can remember well when it was roaming around in Evesham Woods 50 years ago, and when it was hunted by men and dogs and shot at by the best marksmen there were in all South Jersey, but could not be killed. There isn't a family in Burlington or any of the adjoining counties that does not know of the Leeds Devil, and it was the bugaboo to frighten children with when I was a boy, end quote. He actually works with Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> he works with Santa, and if you're... <laughs> he's, the, he's the American Krampus. He's the New Jersey Krampus. <laughs> the New Jersey Krampus. He just scoops up the children and puts them in his hot oatmeal pit. <laughs> Not the hot oatmeal stream. <laughs> There's no dinosaur <laughs> eggs. It's so gross here. <laughs> it's just cannonballs. I don't understand. Why does it smell so metallic over here? I don't get it. <laughs> it's just nothing but sulfur and sadness. <laughs> no. It's just like bathing in a stream full of hot pennies. I don't know if you heard that. But yeah, like I did. Willie moved, Willie moved, and then Smooch immediately was like, now it's my time to shine. And she was like, ah. here I am once again. So annoying. In January of 1909, it said that the Jersey Devil had extended its hunting grounds. During the course of one week, it was spotted over 30 times all over the Delaware Valley in towns such as Haddon Heights, Collingswood, in Camden. It even made its way across the border into Pennsylvania, terrorizing people living in Philadelphia and Bristol. He's like, hey guys, just, you know, looking around, seeing if I want to move out of my swamp. <laughs> Philadelphia looks like a swamp. It's been seven years. I'm just doing my, you know, <laughs> you know, shopping around, keeping it fresh, looking at real estate. It's fine. It's fine. Newspapers included reports of strange shadows falling across people's windows at night and the discovery of unidentified decomposing carcasses in the woods. Gross. It became so bad that the people were afraid to go out at night. Yeah. Yeah, but that sucked in the winter when, like, there was only two hours of daylight. <laughs> they were like, damn it, damn it, damn it. <laughs> by, the time you, by the time you go to work, you're like, and I gotta go. <laughs> Bye. So glad I wasted that candle. <laughs> there were reports that the crypts had attacked a trolley car in Haddon Heights, that police in Camden and Bristol fired on it with zero effect. Several schools closed as a result of the scare, and even some workers were encouraged to stay home for their own safety. Do you think he attacked it to get loot for his pirate friend? Maybe. He was like, he likes shiny things. Listen, it's our anniversary. I just want to get him something nice. <laughs> Maybe some children. <laughs> He's got a really nice neck that's just made for necklaces. I just need to find him something shiny. Guys. After the spate of sightings in January of 1909, the scientific community started to take note, looking for possible explanations. Experts from the Smithsonian Institute partnered up with science professors from Philadelphia to put together theories. 
Was it a prehistoric creature that was able to survive in the limestone caves nearby? A prehistoric creature that did not evolve well. (laughs) Yep. If it was a prehistoric creature, what type? Is it a pterodactyl or a paleosaurus? I don't know what that is. Who knows? Some scientists from New York even threw out the idea that it was a marsupial carnivore. You know, because those are super prevalent Yep. <laughs> in North America. Yep. It's just a freaky <laughs> koala. That's all it is. What is this, Australia? Where did he come from? It's just a really weird kangaroo. <laughs> it's just a kangaroo that it doesn't have developed arms. Mm-hmm. He's not swole like the ones in Down Under. Yeah. Right. Despite all their best efforts, members of the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia couldn't come up with a record of any extinct or living species that resembled the Jersey Devil at all. Wait a million. Some theorize that the Jersey Devil is in fact a Sandy Hill crane. These creatures reach a height of four feet and weigh around 15 pounds. But don't let that fool you. They have an 80 inch wingspan. They gyrate yep. when they fly, and they have no qualms fighting back when they feel threatened. I know. I forgot about this theory that it was just it's just a really aggressive bird. Yep. <laughs> it's like, okay, then they, those Quakers were definitely eating hallucinogenic <laughs> oats for like a hundred years. It's the devil's bird. <laughs> it's back. Did you know that Mary birthed that thing? <laughs> It just gyrated its way out. It was just the stork that tried to deliver something and failed. It was like, why are you guys trying to catch me? She was like, I don't want another one. Just grabs a stork and tries to strangle it. Take it back, take it back, take it back. Following its very active week in January of 1909, the Jersey Devil kept a relatively low profile and sightings dropped off considerably, but continue to happen to this day. In 1925, a farmer in Greenwich, New Jersey, reportedly shot what he believed to be the Jersey Devil when it attempted to steal his chickens, and he even took a photo of it. He claimed around 100 people came to view the corpse, and no one was able to identify it. Okay. In 1951, in Gibson, New Jersey, a group of boys claimed to have spotted... I put monster, but it autocorrected to monastery. (laughs) (laughs) Not a monastery. They spotted a monastery matching the Jersey Devil's description. (laughs) It's just a building. (laughs) It's actually just a crane statue. And they're like, oh, no, the Jersey Devil. (laughs) Just throw a bunch of rocks at it. The Jersey Temple. Oh, no. (laughs) No, it's the portal. (laughs) So they claimed to have spotted a monster matching the Jersey Devil's description in the woods. But, I mean, it's boys, so... Yeah. Would it surprise you to learn that a reward was offered for its capture? No. In 1960, Superintendent Robert D. Carson from the Philadelphia Zoo offered a $10,000 reward for the capture of the Jersey Devil, stating they would build it its own private zoo if caught. Oh, well, isn't that nice? He has like this whole expansive swamp and they're like, listen, we're going to give you a room (laughs) in a zoo. You can have all the the blue oats you want. You may or may not be observed at all times. 
Doesn't that sound nice? Think of all those oats. (laughs) There's no chimneys. You don't have to scuttle up them. It's fine. (laughs) A photo emerged in October of 2015 when a man named Dave Black from Little Egg Harbor Township saw what to him looked like a llama running near a golf course while he was driving home from his job in Atlantic City. Somebody needs to take a nap. He took out his phone and started to record the creature when it became very apparent that it was not, in fact, a llama. (laughs) You don't say. Hey, TikTok, what is this? (laughs) And then he dabs afterwards. Right. Do a dance! (laughs) The photo he captured looks like a blurry image of a goat with wings. And it was sighted in Galloway, which isn't far from Leeds Point. He states, quote, I think I saw a large flying mammal about the size of a deer, end quote. Okay. But Dave wasn't the only person to see what he believed was the Jersey Devil. A woman named Emily Martin also saw what she described as a flying goat and was able to get a short video of it. But it was taken at night, so the quality isn't the best. Mm-hmm. A Rikery story. This was before Night Sight. <laughs> yep. So when it comes to the Jersey Devil, what's fact and what's fiction? As you can probably imagine, it's all fiction. Except for the part about the Leeds family, who really existed. And the story of the devil itself is much more political in nature than you might think. What? Right? That's not a thing. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Although the story of the Leeds Devil originates in the 1700s, the first documented mention of it doesn't appear until a May 1859 edition of the Atlantic Monthly in an article by W.F. Mayer. Mayer traveled to the Pine Barrens to write about the culture of the people living there, and his review was scathing at best. Dirty Quakers. Yep. Referring to the area as, quote, aboriginal in its savagery, end quote, he describes the inhabitants as, quote unquote, pine rats that are, quote, the degraded descendants of Tories, completely besotted and brutish in their ignorance, end quote, and that they live in barely human, squalid conditions. Wow. So he's fun. Mm -hmm. As an aside, he mentioned that they believed in the Leeds Devil. And that was really it, as far as the mention. Stupid. A number of authors from Henry Carlton Beck, John Elfrith Watkins, William McMahon, and Coleman and Hollenbeck have written articles and stories about the Leeds Devil, although none of them included citations rooted in actual fact. Of course not. What? We didn't need that then. Heck, we don't need it now. Facts are for losers. (laughs) (laughs) Nerds. The Trenton Times published an article in 1905 about the Leeds Devil, describing it as a monkey-like creature that lived with the family until it eventually escaped up the chimney. In this telling, the family comprises of Captain Leeds and his wife, and the year given is 1808. According to local gossip, the wife was a sorceress who, quote, associated her name with beings of the other world, end quote. Uh Uh-oh. She likes the devil. Sounds right. 
Of course, as I mentioned, the major spate of sightings took place in January of 1909, when several curious hoof prints were discovered, quote, by some strange animal not yet classified by scientist or nature faker, end quote, in the snow around the towns of Bordenton, Mount Holly, and Leeds Point. Hmm. During the span of this week, newspapers called the creature many names, such as Leeds Devil, Leeds Satan, Flying Hoof, Air Hoss, and Winged Dog. <laughs> I liked the last three. <laughs> the creature wouldn't be called the Jersey Devil until after 1909. Interesting. When it comes to the mention of the quote-unquote monstrous birth, this could be a politically incorrect way of describing a birth defect. What? Yeah. Ooh, surprise! <laughs> so many surprises in this episode. So many. As we've touched on in the past, quote-unquote monstrous births, such as babies born with extra or no limbs, were viewed as a sort of sideshow attraction. And information on these types of births were often politicized to attack specific political or religious groups. That seems totally inaccurate and not true. Like, when have we ever seen this happen <laughs> in the history of man? Lies. <laughs> Usually these depictions were anti-Catholic in nature in New Jersey. However, this theory as an origin of the story has no supporting evidence to back it up as fact. So not anti-Catholic? I would assume it would be anti-Quaker, wouldn't it? Mm, yeah, you would think. Just because of... But I'm just saying, many... like, in the past, it yeah. was typically anti-Catholic. Interesting. One link that was found, and that is theorized, is that the supposed quote-unquote monstrous birth was actually a child born of a woman named Anne Hutchinson, who was a progressive feminist which wasn't good when you were a Puritan and were supposed to know your place. Uh-oh. She knows how to read. Get her! <laughs> Many believed that her deformed child was a result of her sins. Of course they are. Yep. A woman yeah. thinking for herself. <laughs> Better kill the child. <laughs> Monster. Yeah. It is believed that a man named Daniel Leeds is at the core of the lore behind the Jersey Devil. Born in 1651, his father Thomas Leeds and his brothers emigrated from Stansted, Essex, England to New England territories in the tail end of the 1670s and landed in Burlington. At the time of his arrival, Daniel was 25, a devout Quaker, and was a widower as his first wife had passed away in England prior to his voyage across the Atlantic. That sucks. Daniel remarried in, in 1681 to a young woman named Anne Stacy, and she passed while giving birth to their daughter, who was also named Anne, who would also pass not long after her mother. Aww. Daniel, who didn't have the best luck with wives, it seems, remarried <laughs> a third time to a woman named Dorothy Young, who bore him eight children before she passed away in 1699. Dang. Daniel remarried a fourth and final time to Jane Revel Abbott Smout. It's unclear if the pair ever had offspring together. Okay. By 1682, Daniel had earned the title of Surveyor General after becoming a member of the local assembly. With this title, he was able to handle land disputes, and he contributed to the building of the first Burlington Quaker Meeting House. 
Okay. In the 1690s, he acquired land in the Great Egg Harbor area on the Atlantic coast, which he would go on to pass down to his eldest son. This area would become known as Leeds Point. Oh, okay. So that's his tie-in. Yep. Now, to give some religious context, as I mentioned, Daniel was a Quaker, but he wasn't just a Quaker. (gasps) He was part of the new sect that was named the Society of Friends. (laughs) Oh, how nefarious. These Quakers believed that there was no need for a religious leader to teach you how you should practice religion. (gasps) You should be able to have your own individual connection with Jesus. Not okay. Facing persecution in England, they traveled to the New World, but their beliefs were so strict that the Puritans in Massachusetts were like, get out of here with that shit, and forced them into (laughs) Pennsylvania and the Jerseys. Because at this time, Jersey was broken up into, I think, East and West Jersey before it became New Jersey. One thing that set the Quakers apart from the Puritans is that they had no belief in witchcraft and the occult. They just kind of viewed that as, you know, folly. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Privately, Quakers did enjoy sharing ghost stories and hearing tales of witches. Ooh. But they never really believed any them to be real. Still. So when the witch trials happened, the Quakers had nothing to do with it. Like They were just like, yeah, we... Ew, gross. Go murder them over there. (laughs) That's not our thing. Go back to Massachusetts. Anyway, back to Daniel. Well, he fancied himself an intellectual, as well as a surveyor and farmer. So he Mm -hmm. started publishing almanacs in 1687 and created the first one in New Jersey. Others have been printed in the mid-1600s in Pennsylvania and Maryland. Okay. Originally just a broadside, which is just like a one-sheeter. Yep. It would evolve into a multi-page pamphlet that included information on the rising and setting of the sun, title information, and inspirational quotes. Aw, cute. (laughs) Well, astrology wasn't something that the Quakers were cool with, because they considered it to be pagan. Ah. So he started to get some pushback from the members of his community. Not the friends. Not the friends of my society. They were so offended, in fact, that an order was put out to round up all copies of his almanac and have them destroyed. Aw, he worked so hard on that. Daniel apologized for any offense he caused at the next Quaker meeting, but he didn't plan to stop publishing his almanac. No. And went on to be like, Quakers suck. (laughs) That was like the last page. (laughs) This is not dedicated to the Quakers. Smell you later, losers. Society of friends, more like society of frenemies. In rural Pennsylvania and New Jersey, almanacs were one of the few printed materials available to people. So they were like, yeah, pretty big big deal. deal. Mm -hmm. Daniel went on to produce and publish a book called The Temple of Wisdom for the Little World in 1688 when he was 37 years old. Okay. The book was heavily plagiarized, including sections by Francis Bacon and Jacob Boheme. The book includes a compilation of theological texts, sections on the scientific revolution, angels, astrology, theology, philosophy, natural magic, 
and the devil. Uh, as you do. As you do. As you can imagine, many people viewed Daniel as an occultist after this, and the Burlington Quakers had all the copies they could get their hands on destroyed. To date, only one known copy of this book still exists. So they really did a great job then. Yeah. Dang. Understandably, Daniel was pretty pissed. So when the royal authority took control of New Jersey, he quickly took up a position as a counselor to the new governor, Lord Cornbury, who was famously anti-Quaker. Oh, nice. He's like, hey, you're kind of racist. <laughs> you're prejudiced. We got something in common. Right. Hey, get rid of them for me. Is that xenophobia when you're, you've got religious things going on? I can't I remember. Idea. That sounds right. Lord Cornbury, under the advice of Daniel, refused to swear in Quaker members who had been voted into the assembly and pretty much ignored the West Jersey Assembly and its Quaker population altogether. Daniel backed up other anti-Quakers, such as George Keefe, who, like Daniel, had once practiced but eventually turned away from them, denounced their faith, and joined the Anglican Church. All right. Daniel didn't mind being petty and printed several works attacking the Quakers, such as The Trumpet Sounded Out of the Wilderness of America in 1699, where he deconstructed Quakerism and accused them of being anti-monarchists. Uh-oh. It was essentially a tell-all laundry list of things that the Quakers were doing wrong with their practice and ideologies. <laughs> In response, a pamphlet was produced in 1700 titled Satan's Harbinger Encountered, being something by way of answer to Daniel Leeds, <laughs> in which he was accused of being and working for the devil. Uh-oh. Daniel continued to accost the Quakers, publishing a work in 1705 in which he called out their founder, George Fox, as a fraud, stating that he didn't write his own book, but paid others to do it for him. <laughs> Whereas Daniel just cut and pasted. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> At least I cut the pages myself. I was like, uh, kettle? <laughs> Pot? <laughs> right? <laughs> Essentially, Daniel started a war in print with the Quakers, and in 1700, nice. Caleb Pusey became his Quaker rival. In several of his works, Daniel called out Quakers for committing acts of adultery, fathering children out of wedlock, and being uh -oh. corrupt businessmen. Not cool. Yeah. It's believed that one of the ways that the Quakers retaliated was by creating a rumor that Lord Cornbury was a cross-dresser. <laughs> awesome yeah well like they sometimes wear dresses yeah well the governor likes to wear dresses i hear he has different buckles on his shoes <laughs> fancier ones <laughs> they're the small nice ones with jewels <laughs> caleb wasn't the only quaker that attacked daniel in print jacob taylor accused daniel of plagiarism in 1705 <laughs> Because it was true. Which is true. <laughs> to which Daniel replied that Taylor, quote, crows like a cock on his own dunghill, end quote. <laughs> Smell you later, dummy. <laughs> I got away with it. <laughs> Daniel, no longer part of the government after Lauren Cornberry returned to England in 1708, 
continued to print his almanac until 1714 at the age of 63, when he turned the business over to his son, Titan. Titan, who at this time was 15, was extremely intelligent and gifted in math, science, and astronomy. He took over the printing of the almanac officially at the age of 16, and one of the first things he did was slap the family crest on the cover of the almanac. A crest that consisted of three wyverns, or dragons, standing on their back two legs, striking poses very similar to the depictions we're familiar with of the Jersey Devil today. Interesting. If you thought that was interesting, hold up. (laughs) Because another famous person would soon enter the almanac scene, Benjamin Franklin. Of course he did. A sex dungeon isn't enough. Neither's electricity. In 1732, he wrote Poor Richard's Almanac under the pseudonym Richard Saunders, using the same formula of agriculture and astrology. And in order to increase his sales, he decided to start up a feud in 1733 with the (laughs) Leeds family. The start of the feud was when Uh Franklin predicted Titan Lee's death on October 17th, 1733, referring to him as, quote, my good friend and fellow student, end quote, of astrology in his book, which, as you can imagine, did not go over very well with Titan. Like wishing the death on a child? Yeah. Essentially? Yeah. Okay. The pair would fight back and forth calling each other liars and so on. Even after Titan passed away in 1738, five years after it was foretold that he would, Uh Franklin faked a letter that was supposedly written to him from beyond the grave. Of course he did. Prior to Titan's passing, Franklin continued to state that the Leeds Almanac was being published by a ghost risen from the grave to (laughs) torment him. (laughs) <laughs> and he was used using the body of a turkey and that's why yep. turkeys are so sacred to ben franklin they're so majestic they're so majestic they look like me <laughs> <laughs> an asshole <laughs> no matter what you think of franklin his ploy worked and very few rem- remember the leeds almanac while poor richard's almanac flourished coincidentally the quote-unquote birth of the Leeds devil seems to occur within the same time frame as when Titan passed away. The fall of the Leeds family and their disappearance from public life is part of the mystery behind the start of the legend, although given that they were monarchists at a time when the American Revolution was just gearing up, it kind of makes sense. It does. In fact, the legend of the Leeds devil appears to come from Charles A. Bradenburg, the owner of the Ninth and Arch Street Dime Museum in Philadelphia, and Norman Jeffries, who was his press agent. They used the footprint sightings in January 1909 as a way to sell papers and used the free press as a way to drive business to Charles's museum by claiming to have a real Jersey Devil on display after they somehow acquired a kangaroo on which they glued wings gross of course they did to pass it off as the jersey devil another theory as to the origins of the legend are said to be that mother leeds was in fact deborah leeds whose husband jaffet leeds 
named 12 children in his will, which he wrote in 1736. The pair lived in Leeds Point, and due to this evidence, many believe they are at the root of the legend, not Daniel Leeds. Okay. So what about the sightings? Well, Mm -hmm. owls and other large birds of prey, such as the Sandy Hill Crane, are popular. It was even thrown out there that the infamous photo of the flying goat could just as easily be a goat that became a rather unfortunate meal for a hungry owl. (laughs) Oh no. It could be. It could be. If you see the photo, it's like, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. And it would be screaming, too. It would be screaming. (laughs) (laughs) It would be screaming (laughs) as it was being carried off. (laughs) And if the owl is screeching, too. Oh, God. At the end of the day... The Jersey Devil is certainly a colorful character in Cryptid, but still a cryptid. It's hard to know whether it's kind of up to you to believe if believe if it's true or not. Yeah. And that's the Jersey Devil. Perfect. Love it. Love it. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material. Become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. Hello, listener. Do you like folk tales? Have you heard the one about the Little Mermaid? You have? Hmm. How about Little Red Riding Hood? Oh, you heard that one too. Well, how about you come along to Sandman Stories Presents? On Sandman, you'll learn the stories of Sulambara and Gulambara from Georgia. You'll hear stories of Anansi and his son Kwekutsin from Ghana. You'll hear stories from Korea, Japan, Nigeria, South Africa, Louisiana, the Philippines, Bengal, and many, many more. All over a sound bed of natural noises designed to calm your busy mind after a long day. So come along for an adventure, meet new places and people, and I won't be mad if you fall asleep and need to rewind and listen again the next day. Again, that's Sandman Stories Presents, anywhere you find podcasts. Thank you, and good night. This week's podcast plug is the Sandman Stories Presents podcast. Dustin, the host, is a dear friend of mine, and Mm -hmm. the show focuses on folklore and children's stories from around the world that you may not be familiar with, and each tale is read in a soft, soothing voice, making it ideal to listen to if you want to relax or want to be lulled to sleep. My kids really enjoy listening to it. And I highly recommend you check it out. Most of the stories on that show I have never heard of before. And they come from a variety of nations and peoples. That's awesome. So we will have a link to his show in the show notes. And I highly encourage you to check it out. That's great. So I'm going to stop talking because my voice is getting all raspy. What's something good you'd like (laughs) to share? Willie's birthday was last week. And we didn't record last week because we had the interview episode. Yes. But... My my dear sweet baby boy is now eight years old, which is getting up there in golden retriever years. But he had some pot roast as Ooh. his dinner, and like a little box of like unstuffed toys. Ooh. And he even shared with his younger brother, which was impressive because he's not as curmudgeony as he could be at this age. Yep. Yeah, he had a really nice little birthday, and it snowed the morning of his birthday, and snow is his favorite thing. It's his favorite. And so 
he makes little snow worms where he like belly flops and just kind of like rolls around. And then if he's on a hill, he'll like slowly sled down the hill with his body. <laughs> so he was doing that all morning and having a great time. That's nice. my one good thing. I love him. And I love it when he, I love watching him play in the snow. So that's my my good thing. What about you? My good thing's not done yet, but <laughs> I did spend time last weekend cleaning and organizing my office, which is oh, nice. something that I've been meaning to do for like months now. Thanks, depression. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was able to, I took some stuff out of my closet to reorganize in there. I have a new shelving thing where I have all my Girl Scout stuff in one spot combined a lot of my stuff so it's all very nicely organized I put some things in my closet that have been sitting in my office forever just because they got dumped there reorganized my bookshelves and brought my record player out of my closet so now it's sitting next to me so if I want to listen to my records while I'm working and stuff I can do that nice and I still have some stuff that is on the floor like in bags that I just need to figure out where I'm going to put it like, it mm-hmm. just hasn't found a home yet, but it's like 90% done. So, that's awesome. Feeling pretty good it's about feel it. Really nice. Yeah. Feel pretty good about it. And on that note, let's shut it down. Shut it down. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. A great way to support the show, if you can't do so financially, is to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to our podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchase, or Good Pods, or really wherever you listen and can do it. This mm-hmm. week's review comes from Apple Podcasts from user Lopez Elchu. I know, I know who it is. So it's history, but fun. I could listen to Lindsay and Madison's voices all day. They're so oh. soothing. And then it's got like the crying face emoji. Oh. Also love a good sister podcast. The cases they cover are so interesting and are almost all new to me, which is so exciting. History is told by Lindsay and Madison is the only way I want my history lesson. And it's from Elise and Winston from the True Crime Cat Lawyer podcast. Aw, thanks, Elise. Thank you, Elise. And Winston. And Winston. Especially Winston. Winston is a very dignified cat. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Crampboard segments. I don't know if we have a sale for Too Public. <laughs> we need to get new merch. Okay. I, I want to go through I- and do new merch. Okay. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, you know, at this point, we should just have, do like a little check on, check out our Instagram on Wednesdays when we drop the episode to see if there's a link to a sale. Yep. Because it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody's busy. This is the year of Lindsay. She doesn't have time to figure that out for you. <laughs> I don't have time. Just go, go every week and buy something. It's the year of Lindsay. Buy one piece of merch every week. <laughs> Every time you listen. To make me happy. Well, we did have... Sacrifice. <laughs> I gotta tell you this. Because it's 
it's relevant to the episode. So I did reach out to one of our other $5 tier patrons mm-hmm. saying, I hope you didn't sign up with thinking that you were going to get a puppy and some wine sent to you. And yeah. she responded and was like, no, I just really like you guys. And I was like, oh, yeah. good. Because I can't send you wine and a puppy. Because <laughs> we're not giving you anything ever. Because just the sound. I can't make that happen. I'm sorry. Just the sound of our boy- voices and the occasional heavy breathing of our animals. This is true. And sometimes farts or burps yep. from dogs. Or the screams of my children. And on that note, <laughs> as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.